Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to mobilize to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ACCOKC. So we're going to be looking at this final section in chapter 1. And last week we looked at the commission of the apostles and we looked at the ascension of Jesus. And we saw in chapter 1 verse 8 how Jesus spoke to them and said, I'm sending you out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And he told them that they were going to be his Holy Spirit empowered witnesses and it outlined the rest of the book. And so today we're going to end chapter 1 here. And we're going to see uh, two parts in this, two pieces here. And really the whole section here, these 14 verses, are about seeking God. And the first section is going to talk about seeking God in prayer together. They were devoted continually to God in prayer. And then secondly, verses 15 through 26, we're going to look at seeking God to select leaders in the church. They depended on God's guidance, and we're going to see those two things. So we're going to read Acts 1, 12 to 26, then I'll come back and make some comments on it. Acts 1, 12 to 26, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard. We've got pew Bibles there if you want to grab one. We have NIV and NRSV. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days... Peter stood up among the believers. Together the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language, Hakeldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness to his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed. And said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. 
show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of God. So we are going to see here that they're seeking God in prayer together. Look at verse 12. The the setting for this is Jerusalem. And this has come up multiple times in chapter 1 after Jesus told the disciples, the apostles, the others to wait for the Holy Spirit. They walked back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And the walk was a Sabbath day's journey. Some of us might think, man, this is a lot of detail, but we know from Luke 1 and Acts 1 that Luke is meticulous, isn't he? He has interviewed eyewitnesses. He's accompanied the Apostle Paul. And so all of these details matter. He's an early Christian historian, so he wants folks to know the details. This walk was a Sabbath day's journey, about 2,000 cubits, a little less than a mile And the setting here is the upper room. Look at verse 13. When they entered the city, they went to the room upstairs, what's become known as the upper room. We've got songs about it and churches named after this famous room. May even be the same one where they celebrated the Last Supper. We're not sure. But it was a place where they could gather privately and pray and seek God, much like what Daniel did in Daniel 6, verse 10. It was a big room, wasn't it? In the ancient world, big enough to contain 120 people. And my thought is, as I read this this week, it's an interesting passage, and I kept telling Amanda all week, this is a strange passage, isn't it? Would you agree as we read it out loud? It's strange here. It's graphic in places. But 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. It's it's useful and it equips us. And this is one of those passages for sure. So I found myself at unusual moments when I was working through this passage and praying it. I found myself saying, Lord, let this be an upper room church. Let us be like an upper room here on Sundays where we gather around your presence. And then during the week in groups, Let us be people of the upper room where we gather for prayer. Look at verse 14. Again, Luke being meticulous and detailed and accurate. He lists these 11 disciples or apostles. And it parallels what he said back in Luke 6 because we know that it's Luke-Acts, right? The Gospel of Luke, part 1 about Jesus The book of Acts, part two, about his church. And so this list parallels the previous list with a few changes. And then having Judas omitted. But friends, look at what it says. In verse 14, we've got to recognize how big this was in the ancient world. A man's world, right? Where oftentimes women... Their presence was overlooked, their voice was overlooked, but not for the apostle, the apostolic gathering, and for Luke. He says there were certain women 
This probably included the women that we encountered in the Gospel of Luke, Mary Magdalene, Susanna, Joanna, some of the other women mentioned in Luke chapter 8. Luke is probably referencing some of those same women again. These were disciples of Jesus. And many of them were financially supporting Jesus and the twelve. Mary, the mother of James, the other women who saw the empty tomb. So what this is suggesting here is that women are an essential part of the kingdom of God and the church. And again, it's difficult for us to understand this 2,000 years ago, but for Luke to accentuate this was key. He was saying that women, followers of Jesus, are integral when it comes to following Jesus, doing what the early church did. Also listed there is Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's the last time that we hear about Mary, the mother of Jesus. What are they doing back at verse 14? They're united in prayer. All of these people were meeting together constantly. They were of one mind. They were together. They were united. A group acting as one. They were constantly devoting themselves, the text says, to prayer persevering in prayer. And we're going to see the book of Acts. Prayer is a thread that runs through just about every chapter. Acts shows the church praying often, especially about their mission. So there's a connection between praying and crying out to the Lord and mission. And we'll see this in chapter 2 and 4. One scholar of Acts says this, His name's I. Howard Marshall. If the Holy Spirit is the divine gift which empowers and guides the church, the corresponding human attitude towards God is prayer. It is as the church prays that the church receives the Spirit. We want to be a praying church, don't we? Are we a people of prayer? What do you think? Like these early Christians, are we a people of prayer? meeting together regularly here and in one another's homes? Are we united? Are we learning more about prayer, more about the Lord, more about his word? We get personal for a minute here. Are you a person of prayer? It's one thing to think, well, I'm with this group and we pray together, but I want to ask, are you a person of prayer? Do you schedule daily time to read the scriptures? To pray, to learn to linger in the Lord's presence and listen to his voice? Friends, this is an invitation. Never here do we lay heavy burdens on people. This is a delightful invitation for you to become a person of prayer, for me to become a person of prayer, to cultivate friendship with the Lord through his word. Very quickly here, we're going to pop out of Luke 1 and look at 1 Thessalonians 5 on this note of being a person of prayer, being a people of prayer. It's a text that we go to oftentimes, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 19. We were reading this actually in a small group in our 
home, that's right, Caden was there, Luke was there, Braden. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 19, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. We were looking at this in our small group on Wednesday night, and we talked about this is a command from the Apostle Paul, but tucked in that command is a promise. So the Apostle is saying that you actually can pray without ceasing. You can be a person who's in ongoing contact with the Lord Jesus, with the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's not a heavy yoke. It's an invitation. And Luke pointed out, Luke Dixon, who was in that group, he said, bro, it says this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And if God is willing something, it's going to happen. So friends, I'm encouraging us collectively and individually to become people of prayer, to learn what it means to pray continually throughout the day, to turn to the Lord. Some of you have talked about this. I remember when Scott Duncan talked about running his business and being involved in numbers and number crunching throughout the day and meeting with clients, but he talked about in the secret place of his heart as he did that, he was praying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. There was an internal movement in his heart. And friends, this is what I want to invite us into in the coming days, that we would be a people of prayer like the early church and that we would learn to receive grace from God so that we could do this all through the week, no matter how busy we are, parenting, studying, whatever it is we do. We can learn to commune with the Lord. And that's one reason we love that prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Those ten words can always be available and accessible there. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you're getting back to this. Maybe you're new to this as a new disciple. It's really not complicated to grow in prayer. It's actually very simple at least on the logistical side of it. Schedule it. Follow a simple plan. We've got plans all over the place, all over the website. We have reading plans. Some of them are a week long. Some are 30 days. We have one right now that Connie put together, 30 days in the book of Acts. Those are out in the resource center. I've already mentioned that what I'm doing in the coming weeks is reading a section of Acts one day and then going into the Psalms the next day so that I'm rotating back and forth. Friends, find a way to spend time in the Lord's presence every day reading his word. You agree how key that is for all of us? And then ask God for help and power. I remember a few weeks ago, I was struggling, and the Lord said, keep on keeping on. And I said, that, that's encouraging. Keep on keeping on. It's like physical exercise. Just keep on doing it. Don't start with half a marathon. Start with a walk around the block. Ease your way into it, and then don't give up. Friends, let's become a people of prayer like never before. Learning to be with the Lord. Second thing in this passage where it gets really interesting, we read it at verse 15 through 26. 
This church is seeking God to select leadership. They're depending on God's guidance. And the setting here at verse 15 says it's in those days. What days are those? It's a window of 10 days, sometime between the ascension of Jesus and Pentecost, which we're going to look at in two weeks. It's 120. Again, they're named here. In the ancient world, it was the number needed to establish a new community with its own council. I was looking at this passage, scratching my head, thinking, can a church community of 120 actually make a difference? What do you think? Or is it mega churches and the big churches that are more effective? What does this text suggest here? Nothing against mega churches and big churches. God, it's the Lord's church, whatever he wants to do. But this text shows that it all started with 120. 120, a small group of people with that number 12 factored in there. It sounded like the 12 tribes, and now you have the 12 apostles. And we talk about it regularly here. We want to be Gideon's army. And we believe that the Lord can take a church of any size and do significant things. Amen? This gets really intriguing. At verse 16, it shows that Scripture is providing perspective regarding this character, Judas. What's it say there? At verse 16, it says, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter says, Friends, the Scripture had to be fulfilled regarding his betrayal, Judas's betrayal. And if we remember that Jesus in Luke 24 had opened the disciples' minds to understand the scriptures, think about it. The resurrected Jesus is now speaking to you and walking among you and revealing his plans. Do you think you would go back to those scriptures and search them with some new vigor and energy? You bet. As we saw that he was opening the scriptures and explaining things about himself. So Peter is one of those, like a madman, searching the scriptures. What do they teach about the Messiah? What does it foretell? What experiences parallel what's happening here? And so Peter is showing us how the early church read the scriptures. And how they use Jesus as the Messiah as a lens through which to read the scriptures. And he references two psalms here, doesn't he? One from Psalm 69 and one from Psalm 109. And he finds elements in those psalms that parallel what is happening in this moment. So in Psalm 69, 25, David speaks of judgment on an unrighteous person. And Peter finds in this description something that mirrors Jesus, I mean Judas, who's deserted his position. And then Psalm 109, David speaks of someone replacing this person in a role of leadership. So Peter is showing how they read the scriptures in this kind of way. As I was looking at this, I remembered Psalm 22. Do you remember the words of Jesus on the cross? Matthew 27. What are some of the final words that Jesus says? And where do they come from? 
He's, he's talking about being abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he is looking back to the Psalms that Jesus would have regularly prayed on a daily basis. And in that moment of anguish, he looks back to Psalm 22, the experience of David when David felt forsaken. And he says, that is what I'm feeling and identifying with. Same thing is happening here. Peter is doing the same thing, looking back in the Psalter, the book of Psalms, and referencing it. Friends, they were a scripture-soaked community, weren't they? Do you want to be a scripture-soaked community? I certainly do. Scripture-centered people, a scripture-soaked community is what we're after. This is strange. Reading it aloud with a group of people, hearing about Judas, it was odd, wasn't it? Intestines, hanging, pretty graphic, but it's the word, so it reveals some things about this cryptic character named Judas. I'm sorry for some of the kids in here, if that's a little graphic, you can talk with your parents about that later. It's the word of God though, isn't it? So we have to open it up and Judas was one of the original 12 disciples and he shared in this ministry and the text is talking here and you read it with other scriptures to interpret it. Judas betrayed Jesus. He went and kissed him to identify him so the Roman soldiers could come and take him away. And he was paid 30 pieces of silver and he returned that money to the priests and they went and bought a field and an old potter's field and it's where Judas hanged himself. Look at the text here. Again, we work through passages like this because oftentimes people skirt around them, but we want to linger with it and see what it has to say. It's important to know the full counsel of God. Judas hanged himself. He fell headlong. His body burst open. And frankly, perhaps he was on a tree somewhere and his body swelled up and He was cut down by someone we don't know. Maybe the branch broke. But it's a gruesome sight, isn't it? And it really shows the fate of someone who left the presence of Jesus and sold himself out. And the rest of Scripture says that he had the love of money in him. He loved money and fortune more than the Lord Jesus. Everyone in Jerusalem heard this story, didn't they? So they named the field the field of blood. Let's end with this here at verse 21 through 26. They choose Matthias because Judas was dead and he had turned his back on the Lord Jesus. Now they find themselves ready to select someone else. They nominated two people, didn't they? Verse 23, they nominated Joseph and Matthias. And we never hear more about Matthias, whom they selected. Look at how they prayed. They prayed and said, Lord, you are the knower of hearts. Would you show us who you've selected? They're praying to the Lord Jesus who had selected the original 12 and they're saying, would you show us now? Friends, I think this is a beautiful prayer here. We're actually finding ourselves in a new season, selecting 
potential elders in the coming days. And so this week I found myself saying, Lord, you're the knower of hearts. Would you show us who is supposed to serve in the coming days and months? Friends, I would encourage you to use this prayer. Maybe even in the workplace, if you're making choices. Lord, you know hearts. Show me who I'm supposed to a point in leadership. Now this was a unique moment with the disciples, with the apostles, but there's a principle here, isn't there? Turning to the Lord who knows hearts. This is where it gets very strange, doesn't it? They cast lots. What in the world is that? Again, this is one of those passages we've got a hanging and now we've got the casting of lots. How's that for a morning? This was a common way in the Old Testament of discerning God's will. You can see it in Leviticus 16 and the book of Joshua 18 it was used I'll explain more in a minute to actually divide up the allotment where the tribes would live and what they would be called in the ancient world it was usually rocks usually a set of two rocks with something inscribed on them or it could be a set of sticks Amanda said, is it like drawing straws? And I said, that's exactly what it's like here. Is this strange? Would you agree if we just sit with this for a moment, the idea that the early church was doing something that was practiced in the Old Testament is odd. But really what it was, it was their way of drawing straws and the Lord had already made his decision and so they were trusting that God would reveal this. Now, in the rest of the New Testament, do we find them casting lots and drawing lots? This is it, isn't it? It's over. And it's interesting that it comes at the end of chapter one before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think the text is saying the Spirit of God is given and so you don't need to cast lots. You don't need to draw straws anymore. The will of God is made known to his people, all of us, and we can all be guided by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and guides us through scripture, amen? I'm gonna end with this, it's a beautiful, this is a practical passage. Tucked in here are practical things and John Stott who loved the book of Acts says this, it is instructive to note the factors that contributed for the early church to discover God's will. Now listen, this is, first came the general leading of scripture that a replacement should be made. Secondly, the early Christians used their common sense that if Judas' substitute was to have the same ministry, he must also have the same qualifications. Thirdly, they prayed. For though Jesus had gone, he was still accessible to them by prayer and was acknowledged as having the knowledge of hearts that they needed. So friends, in this passage right here, the leading of scripture, using our common sense and praying, we have a model. So what is it today that maybe you need to hear from the Lord about?